Exodus 22, and I'm going to read a couple of verses, and when I read them, you're going to look at me cross-eyed and say, Preacher, what in the world? But uh, if you'll listen to me, give me a few minutes tonight. I promise I won't preach very long because I can't. Um, uh, I'll, I'll bring it back somewhere where we can, uh, I think, make it useful and practical in our lives. All right? Exodus chapter 22, and I'm going to read three verses. Verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. Exodus chapter 22, starting in verse number 22. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Now I want to look at this passage for a moment tonight, and I'm just going to preach on you shall not afflict a widow, and then we'll bring it home. And I'll remind you of this. I'll remind you that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonishment, for our example. And so we'll find an example here, I hope, that'll help us and encourage us tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray you'll help me tonight. pray you'd help me in the preaching, help my throat, help me most of all spiritually, Lord. And help those that listen that you might speak to our hearts and change our lives tonight for your honor and your glory. If there's somebody here tonight, Lord, lost without God and without hope in this world, I pray you'd point them unto Christ. And then, Lord, I pray for God's people that need encouragement, that you'll help us, Lord, reprove, rebuke, and exhort us tonight with the word of God, and we will be thankful. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I'm going to make mention of the previous verse, verse 21. We didn't read it in our text. But the Bible said, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I want to talk to you a little bit about this passage of Scripture and talk to you about the widow for a few moments. Now, I'll talk to you about and mention the fatherless and mention the stranger, but mostly I'm interested in this widow tonight. And we'll talk to you about her for a moment. I don't have a grand introduction. don't have a lot of things to say uh, to start us out. So let's just jump into this passage a moment. I want you to notice, first of all, the commandment. You know, this language is familiar to us. Thou shalt not, ye shalt not. This is language that's familiar to you and I that know the Bible. Some folks say, well, the Bible's a negative book. Well, i found a lot more positive than I have negative. Somebody said, well, the Bible's full of don'ts. i found a lot more do's than I've found don'ts. And uh, But there are don'ts in the Bible. In the day we live, people don't want to hear about don't. They don't want to hear a no. They want to say anything goes, do whatever you feel like. But that's not what's true in this world. There are consequences to our life and to our, and when we sin, those consequences come into play. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You say, well, preacher, if God loves us, why did he tell us no? You always tell people you love no because you're trying to protect them from certain things. Uh, sometimes, I said I didn't have a long introduction, but it looks like I got one. It's coming somewhere. Sometimes, People will say, especially young people will say, well, you know, my parents don't want me to do this. They don't want me to do that. And they say no about this. It's because they love you and care about you. Here's what happens. No's, the no's in the Bible, the times God said thou shalt not protect our liberty so that we can. The things God said you can't, 
He said it so that we would still have a choice and have liberty to do the things that we can do. I'll give you an example. I was in a, I was in a uh, prophet's chamber. Well, it was in the fellowship hall. The prophet's chamber was upstairs. And I went downstairs and we were going to have a little food and fellowship. And I went into the uh, restroom and I was going to wash my hands. And when I turned around, there was a hot water heater. And on that hot water heater, it was just sitting out in the open. And on that hot water heater, it said, in big letters, it said warning or caution. I can't remember if it was warning or caution, one of the two. And then it said this. It said, do not connect electric current to this water heater until the water tank is filled with water. Now, if I buy a water heater, I reckon I can do whatever I want to with it. It's mine, right? If I want to hook up the current before I put water in the tank, I can if I want to. But here's the problem. If I do that, I'm going to burn out the element, and I won't have any hot water. So what I did was, by exercising a choice that I shouldn't have exercised, I lost the choice that I could have exercised. And here's what happens. When you choose to do wrong, you lose your next choice. If you choose to do right, then you have another choice you can make. And so God gives us fences. He gives us walls. He tells us no to help us so that we can still have our choices and still not get into bondage to things. So he starts out this passage with ye shall not. That's the commandment. Now, notice there is a scriptural prohibition. Ye shall not. The word ye here is an interesting word because ye is in the plural. When you think about thou, he's usually speaking in the singular. But when he says ye, he's speaking in the plural. So you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, hey, teenagers, don't oppress a widow. You that are in the middle age of life, don't oppress a widow. You that are aged, don't oppress a widow. If you're rich, if you're poor, if you're young, if you're old, if you're educated, if you're uneducated, whatever it is, don't oppress a widow. He's including us all in it. You say, well, I know certain people should not oppress a widow. No, nobody should is what the Bible's saying. Do not, not oppress a widow. So there's a scriptural prohibition. Then there is a suffering person here, and that is the widow. Now, there's actually three suffering persons. There's the stranger, there's the widow, and there's the fatherless. And they are suffering, and the suffering that is involved with these people. You think about a stranger. What would we say about a stranger? Well, a stranger is one who has turned aside from the road. I would call him road weary. Somebody that is away from home. And God said the reason that you shouldn't oppress a stranger, at least one reason is, is because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So basically he's saying don't treat somebody the way you wouldn't want to be treated. So there's the stranger. He is one turned aside, has no home. Then there's the widow. She has no husband. When you look up the word widow in the Bible and look it up under Strong's Concordance, it'll use this word with the word widow, the word desolate. And it's talking about a widow who has no means, no one to support her, no one to take care of her because her husband is gone. I know that bothers the ERA crowd today and now and all that business, but... uh but that crowd, they don't even know the difference between a man and a woman anyway. And so we won't spend much time worrying about them. Uh, you know, I learned that when I was a little fella, didn't you? I mean, I knew right away. I knew right away there's something different than them girls and them boys. I knew that right away. You didn't go around them girls because if you touch them, you got cooties. Yeah. Amen. Whatever happened to cooties? If there's no boys and no girls, I guess there's no cooties left anymore. But anyway, that's not in these notes. So it, it, it talks about a desolate place. And then who are the fatherless? The fatherless are those who have lost their parents. And it comes from a word meaning to be lonely. 
or to be bereaved, lonely or bereaved. Now, we should note that the widow is in a special condition here because a stranger might have been a stranger all his life and never really known a home. And the fatherless may be, it may be that father died when the child was young and the child's never really known his father. But it's different with the widow. She'd been married. She knows that husband. She has enjoyed his fellowship, his companionship. She's in a different situation than the stranger of the fatherless. And so God uses this word about her. The word, there are two words, or actually three words in our text. There's the word vex, there's the word oppress, and there's the word afflict. Now, the word vex means, it usually in the Bible involves violence. It's translated in some place in our Bible to thrust at someone or to thrust someone out. It'd be the idea of a stranger coming needing a place and he's road weary and you're not supposed to vex him. You're not supposed to throw him out in the street just because you don't want somebody, uh, you don't want to help anybody. You don't want to be, you don't want to be bothered by him. So vex usually involves violence. And then the word oppress means to press someone down or to distress them. But the Bible says here about the widow not to afflict her. Now the word afflict here is an interesting word. It means It means to depress, it means to abase, it means to afflict, it means to deal hardly with. These are the words that it's translated sometimes in our Bible. To look down upon, to browbeat, to depress, to deal hardly with, to force, to ravish, or to weaken. Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament about the scribes and the Pharisees? He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye devour Widows, houses. You want to get in trouble with God? Take advantage of a widow. If I'm reading this passage right, you shall not afflict a widow. So there is a commandment here. Then here's the second thing. There is the cry in our text. Now stay with me. We're headed somewhere. We may get there. I hope we will. You shall not afflict any widow. Now look at the next verse. If thou afflict them in any wise... And they cry at all unto me. I will surely hear their cry. Now I'm looking at this verse and I'm thinking of three things. I'm thinking first of all the scope of the word any. Now listen to what he said. If thou afflict them in any wise. That's pretty big right there. You say, oh preacher, what should I, what should I not do the widow? You better not, you better not afflict her in any way. You better not explain it away somehow. You better not say, well, it's not in this particular category, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do what so-and-so did. He said in any wise. That's a big word, that word any. You should not afflict her in any way. You should not afflict her at any time. You should not afflict her for any reason. All right? There's the scope of the any. Then there is a simple action here. Now watch what happens. If thou afflict them... In any wise, and then watch this, and they cry at all unto me. Now, I like that little phrase. If they cry at all. Now, think about that. In other words, if that, if you afflict the widow and she says something to God, she don't have to come up with a flowery prayer. She don't have to quote a lot of scripture. 
So you don't have to have a lot of these and thou's in there. If she just cries, oh, God, I'm trying not to cry because of my throat. But if she just cries unto God, you know what? Here's what the Lord said. I'm going to hear her. You know what that tells me? Widows can get their prayers answered. You may not be able to get yours answered, but a widow can get hers answered when somebody's oppressing her and somebody's afflicting her. Whatever God says, here's what's going to happen. He said, if they cry, I'll hear. I'm going to listen. I'm glad we have a listening God, aren't you? I'm glad he hears. I'm glad he's not deaf. One old fellow, was a, <coughs> he was a agnostic, and he said this. He called God the blind, implacable hostility. Well, I know something about God. First of all, I know he's not blind. Because the eyes of the Lord are in all the earth beholding the good and the evil. I know he's not implacable, which means to be unmovable, because Jesus, who is God, looked at that crowd in Jerusalem, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The Bible said he was moved with compassion about them. So I know he's not implacable, and he's not hostile. Why, his mercies are new and fresh every day. And the Bible said this about Jesus, he was a friend of publicans and sinners. So I know he's not the blind, implacable hostility. I'll tell you what it is. He's the all-seeing, merciful, and kind God. Matter of fact, David, when he talked about him, he used something. It's kind of an idiom that the Jews would use. The Hebrews, he used a, a he'd take a word. You take a word, say the word. Then you use another word just a little bit different and say it next. Put them two together for emphasis. He called God merciful, his merciful kindness. If you get out your Strong's Concordance and look those words up, it's the same word. So what he's saying is God is mercifully merciful. And he's kindly kind. I like that about God. Don't you like that? And so he said, I'll give them attention. Now, when I'm thinking about the widow, God keeps mentioning her. Deuteronomy 24. When thou cuttest down thy harvest in thy field and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, shalt thou not go. Thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the, for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thy hands. He'll say again, the, pretty much the same thing in Deuteronomy 24. He'll say again, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. He'll say it again in verse 21. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And <coughs> And in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Sound like God's interested in the widows being taken care of. There are some more verses New Testament we can look at. We'll not take the time. But let me give you the third thing, the consequence, the consequence of afflicting a widow. Now listen to what God said. He shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry it all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. Now watch this. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Now watch the severe response that God mentions. He said, here's what's going to happen. When you afflict that widow, and she cries unto me, my wrath will wax Now, you think about that language. It's not just God said, I'm going to get angry. He said, I'm going to get overheated angry. 
You remember when you was a little child and you watched cartoons? Always on Saturday we'd watch cartoons when I was a boy. I, whenever I think about cartoons, I get this taste for Sloppy Joes because my mom would make Sloppy Joes on Saturday, and we'd watch cartoons. We'd watch The Road Runner. Remember The Road Runner? And we'd watch other things, you know. And whenever, and those cartoons, when somebody'd get mad, when they'd get really mad, sometimes you'd see fire pop up out of the top of their head. That's the picture I get here. God's not just a little bit perturbed when the widows are afflicted. He's angry. His wrath waxes hot. Now, watch this. He not only says that he will wax hot, but then it says this, and I will kill you with the sword. Now, I want you to think about this. Here's what God is saying. He's talking to us. i got an outline. I don't know if I've been paying attention, if you have either, but I call these the savage reapers. Here's what God said. He said, not only am I going to, not only am I going to wax hot and angry and wrathful at you, but he said, I'm going to bring men upon you. That's what he means when I'll kill you with the sword. He's saying that I'll bring judgment from men upon you. In other words, judgment's not only going to be coming from me, judgment's going to be coming from around you. You remember David said this, when David sinned in numbering the people, and Gad came to rebuke him, and Gad said, now the Lord's going to give you a choice. He said, here's what you can do. He said, you choose. Shall you have seven years of famine? Uh, will you have uh, uh, three months to flee before your enemies? Or will you let the Lord pestilence in the land? And here was David's answer to him. David said, let me fall not into the hands of men, but let me fall in the hands of the Lord. Now, why did he say that? Because men have no mercy. The Old Testament prophet said about God in wrath, remember mercy. So even when God is in wrath and is waxed hot, there is still mercy about him. But there are no, there's no mercy with men. So God said, here's what I'll do. You afflict a widow, my wrath will wax hot against you. But not only will my wrath wax hot, because my wrath is always mingled with mercy, so I'm going to set men on you. And they will have no mercy. In the Old Testament, what would happen, and it can happen in our day too, the Old Testament, what happened many times, was God would bring a foreign nation in and conquer Israel. He'd bring sword against them. And then he says this, My wrath shall wax hot, I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows and your children fathers. God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do to you what's been done to them. Be sure your sin will find you out. And we reap what we sow. You think about this sometime. If you're involved in business, you think about the fact that you're going to take advantage of a widow. But what will happen when your wife's a widow? And your children are fathers. God said that's what's going to take place. Now you say, preacher, you know, that's all interesting and it's biblical and so on. But what in the world does it have to do with me? Well, I was looking at this passage. And here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the character of God that is revealed to us in this passage of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I want to know more about God than I know right now. I want to know what He's like. I want to know Him better. The old songwriter had it right more about Jesus than what I know. I'd like to know more about Him. And God said if I'd seek Him, I could find Him. And I want to, I want to, I want to if I can, plumb the depths of the character of God. What I know about him so far, I'm pretty happy with. I'd like to know a little more. 
So what does this passage tell us about the character of God? Let me say three things to you, and this is the message, and then I'll be done. First of all, it tells me about a God's character towards sin. God must hate sin. He doesn't ever take sin lightly. You and I want to take sin lightly, but God never does. I don't think God is taking sin lightly when he said, if you afflict a widow in any wise, you do anything, any wise you afflict a widow, he says, my wrath is going to wax hot, and I'm going to bring judgment with the sword, and I'm going to make your wife a widow, and I'm going to make your children fatherless. That tells me God does not look lightly upon sin. You say, well, preacher, you know, God's the old man upstairs, and he's just going to, he's not going to care about whether I do right or do wrong. No, you're wrong, friend. God has a holy hatred for sin. He is a righteous God. And I'm glad our sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary. But that does not leave me free to sin. Don't, don't, don't make grace a license to sin. Some of you do that. I say, well, preacher, I'm saved. I, I remember I, two, uh, I don't know what to call them, a man and a woman. I started to call them a couple, but really in God's sight they weren't. But they were living together, unmarried. And, uh, going to the church, a preacher wouldn't let them join, and I wouldn't have either if I was the pastor, because they're living in sin. And so, the lady said to me, well, I know we're not doing right, but we're both saved and we'll, we'll go to heaven. But I'm thinking to myself, if you don't, if you're not willing to repent and willing to obey the Lord, I question whether you're saved in the first place, if you can flaunt sin in the face of God. But even if they are saved, they'll have to answer for that sin. God doesn't let sin go by. God doesn't say, well, you know, you didn't mean it or it wasn't your fault. That's the cry today. It wasn't my fault. Mama's fault, daddy's fault, somebody else's fault. I'm, I'm just dysfunctional. I'm not a sinner. No, sin. God, you know, we put names on things, don't we? I remember Brother Kelly, Brother Billy Kelly, we used to have the Greer Camp meeting and, well, they still have it, but back then, I was, I wasn't preaching it. I preach it most of the time now, but back then, I wasn't preaching it. I was the, I was the gopher. I'd mow the lawn and pull the weeds and do all that kind of stuff. And so one day, we had a pickup truck. And a redneck trailer. Do you know what a redneck trailer is? It's a trailer made out of a pickup truck bed. So we had a pickup truck and a redneck trailer. And I had it full of garbage I picked up around. And he said, I want you to take it down the dump. And he told me where to go. And I've been to dumps. I've been going to garbage dumps ever since I was a little boy with my dad. I know what a garbage dump is. And so he told me where to go. But I never could find the thing. I couldn't find the garbage dump. He said there was a sign. I never saw a sign for a garbage dump. So I'm driving up and down the road trying to find it, and I pass this guy, and he's got a load of garbage. And I said, I'll follow him. He probably knows where it's at, so I'm following him. He turns down a road. I pass that road several times. We go down the road. Here's a big green sign, and there was a sign at the corner, too. Here's a big green sign. You know what it said? Transfer station. So I pulled in the transfer station. I got out of the truck. I went, this is a dump. I don't know why they called it a transfer station. I wasn't on to transfer anything. I was wanting to dump something. But here's what I think. I think transfer station sounds better. Maybe if I showed up at your neighborhood, knocked on your door, and said, I'm getting petitions for a, or signatures for a petition, we'd like to put a dump in your neighborhood. You'd say, not interested. But maybe if I came by and said, I'm, I'm getting signatures for a petition, I'm trying to put up a transfer station. You'd say, transfer station? Is that, is that electric or is that, what is that? And you might say, well, okay, because it sounds better. 
Alcoholic sounds better than drunk. Midlife crisis sounds better than whoremongering. Right? Dysfunctional sounds more, it sounds better than disobedient. We put names on everything. But God calls sin, sin. If it's ever been sin, it's still sin now. And so we find out about the character of God towards sin, that God hates sin, and he doesn't let it go unpunished. You say, preacher, how do I know that God doesn't let sin go unpunished? All you have to do is look at Calvary. In Romans chapter 2, Paul said, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath, under the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Paul paints us a picture there. He said we're treasuring up wrath. Now think about it. Ever since Adam in the garden, the first man, the sin in the garden, ever since that, when men sin, it's like all that sin was put into a treasure chest. And all the wrath of God built up over all that sin, over the years of time, years and years and years and years, thousands of years, every sin in that treasure chest. Then one day Jesus was hung on a cross, and God picked up that treasure chest and opened the cover and tipped it over and poured out all that wrath upon Jesus as he hung on the cross of Calvary. Until in the hours of darkness, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, Preacher, what does God think about sin? Look at Calvary. Look at the darling Son of God, the Lamb of God, dying for the sin of the whole world. And you'll know what God thinks about sin. He hates sin. And it must be paid for. I'm glad Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. But we also learn something of the character of God, not just towards sin, but toward those who suffer. Does God care when you suffer? The old songwriter said, does Jesus care? But when he got to the chorus, he straightened it out. I'd sing it for you, but I can't. He said, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my need. He cares for us. You say, Bridget, how do I know he cares? Think about, think about this passage of Scripture. How how often lately have you thought about the need of a widow? How often lately have you looked at a widow and said, and, and your heart broke for her? God's heart breaks for the widows. He thinks about them. How often have you taken the time to listen to a widow who's lonely for her husband and listen to what she had to say and listen with a heart that cared? And determined to do something about it. To help her in any way you can. That's what God does. He listens and he cares. You say, well, preacher, does God care about the suffering? He does. Now think about this. When you are destitute, that's what a widow was. That's what we read in our Bible. That's what, that's what the word means. When you're destitute, God cares about you. When you're destitute and desolate. And then when others seem deaf to your cries, God hears you. He hears you. 
If you're suffering, you say, well, I tried to talk to so-and-so. They didn't have time, or I talked to so-and-so, and I knew they didn't care. I talked to so-and-so, and they just they just didn't understand. But it's never that way with God. When no one else will hear you, think about the widow. Who, if, she, if she has, if she's a widow and has no means of support, she's, she's desolate as we read and thought about in our Bible. If that's where she is, the men of the world are not going to listen to her. Say, so why should I listen to her? What can she do for me? Like the unjust judge. Not going to listen. But God listens. Say, preacher, nobody wants to hear. There's somebody wants to hear. When you're suffering, God will hear. And then when no one will defend you, God will marshal all the forces of heaven and earth to come to your defense in your suffering. Remember what he was going to do to defend the widow? He said, my wrath's going to wax hot and I'm going to bring men. I'm going to bring the sword against you. What was he doing? Marshaling all of heaven and all of earth for that widow to come to her rescue. And when you and I are suffering, when we're desolate, when we're destitute, when there's nobody to defend us, we have a God in heaven. When we'll cry unto him, his character is to marshal all that heaven has and all that he has on earth to come to our rescue, come to our defense. There's the character of God towards sin, the character of God toward the suffering. Then I think this passage teaches us about the character of God towards sinners. Because you know what I was before I got saved? I was the stranger. Spiritually speaking, I was the widow. And I was the fatherless. I had no home. I was desolate, like the widow. And the only father I had was no kind of father at all. Because he was the father of lies, the devil, spiritually. I was like the widow. But you know what? Remember what God said? If they had any wise cry, if they in any way cry unto me. I remember March the 10, 1980, about 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, 110 North Forest Street in the town of Wayland, Michigan. You know what I did? I did what the widows would do in this passage. I cried unto the Lord. I didn't know exactly what to say. I'd grown up in church, but I still didn't know exactly what needed to be said. I just knew I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. My wife and I, there on the bed, about 11 o'clock on that Saturday night, we cried unto the Lord. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were sinners. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. But we cried unto the Lord. And you know what happened when we cried? Here's what happened. God saved our soul. When He saved our soul, He gave us a home. I've got an eternal home in the heavens. Amen. And not only did He give me a home, He gave me a husband, the Lord Jesus. Paul said, I've espoused you a chaste virgin unto Christ. I'm headed, I'm, you say, preacher, I don't know if I'll say this to you or not because you won't believe it. You're looking at the blushing bride. Amen. I'm headed for a wedding. I've got a heavenly husband that loves me and he'll never leave me. I won't have to worry about ever being a spiritual widow because my husband is the same to yesterday, today and forever. He's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He's lived forever and shall live forever. He is the everlasting father. That's who he is. And then I not only got a home and I only got a husband, but I got help. I got help. You know what I can do now? I come boldly to the throne of grace to attain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. You know what I like about that verse? Help in time of need. 
In other words, help when you need it. Timely help. I could give you so many illustrations of timely help in my life. Let me just give you one because I like to hear the story myself. My oldest daughter, Rachel, was born. I was pastor of the church. She was born at 126 on Sunday afternoon. I missed the morning service and the evening service. And when she was born, she nearly died. She stopped breathing, turned blue. I had to go back to, we were about, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or something like that from the hospital. I had to go home. And when I came back the next day, they had her in this incubator and all these tubes hooked up to her and all that kind of stuff. And they said they were going to do brain scans on her. I told her we never have got the results back on those yet. But anyway, I was a little bit, I'm scatterbrained anyway, but I was really scatterbrained. And uh, I got to go up to the hospital. And I'm up, up the hospital, and I'm driving a little Volkswagen Rabbit. And I'm driving down the road on M40, and the motor quit. It just quit. And I coasted off the road. And I'm get out. I'm looking around, and I'm I'm having I'm having disparaging thoughts about German engineering. And then I looked at the gas gauge, and the Germans were not to blame. It was the Irish. I'd forgot to put gas in the car, so I'm out of gas, and I'm standing there, and I'm leaning against my little Volkswagen Rabbit. And this big old, I can't remember if it was a Cadillac or a Lincoln, but this big fancy car pulled up. This has been quite a few years ago now. And he pulled up and his windows were tinted and he stopped. I could just barely see through those tinted windows and I saw him take his finger and go like this and the window went down. That impressed me. Because all of my windows went down like this. And he looked out that window and he looked at me and he said, You got trouble? I said, Yes, sir, I'm out of gas. He said, hop in. So I got in. We're going down the road. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I need to witness to this man. But then I'm thinking to myself, if he gets mad, I'll be walking. So I tried to ease into it. I said, I looked over him. I said, uh, you go to church? He said, yes, I do. And I was a little encouraged. I said, you do? He said, I do. So then I just out with it. I just said, hey, have you been born again? Do you know the Lord? Are you a believer? He said, yes, sir. I've been born again. I'm a saved man. I said, wonderful. We talked a little bit. I said, what are you doing up here? He said, well, I got some businesses up here in the upper part of Michigan. I live in Indiana. And he said, every couple of weeks I have to drive up here and check on these businesses. And he said, today, he said, I was driving up interstate. And he said, I always come up 94 and hit 131 and go north. But today I got to exit 60. And he said, I was praying, and the Lord said, get off here. He said, I don't I don't know why. He said, I've never been this way before. I don't even know where it goes. I said, well, I know why. I didn't say this to him, but I, I thought to myself, because the preacher ran out of gas. That's why. So he said, where is a gas station? I said, up here about 10 miles. So he drove me up there. He bought me gas. I didn't have a gas can. He, he bought me a gas can. He filled it with gas. He drove me back down there. We put the gas in the in little Volkswagen Rabbit. And I told him about Rachel and about the trouble she had, my oldest daughter there when she was born. And he, uh, I tried to give him the gas can, and he said to me, he, he wouldn't take it. He said, you keep it. You seem like the type might need it again. 
He wasn't being unkind, just honest. And then he turned away, and then he stopped, and he turned back, and he reached in his pocket. He pulled out his wallet and handed me some money, and he said, buy that little girl something for me. And then he took off, and I got in my Volkswagen Rabbit and went up and saw my wife and my baby. Now, here's what I'm saying. You know what that was? That's timely help. God didn't send him by there before I got there, and he didn't send him by there after I was gone. Obtain mercy and find help in time, grace to help in time of need. You know what God will do for us? He'll not just give us help. He'll give us timely help, good help, and help when we need it. What is that, preacher? That's the character of our God. That's just what he's like. He's just like that. You say, preacher, I need help. Well, let me tell you about a God whose character is to help. He'd like to help you. So I look at this passage and I think to myself, I know God's talking about the widow. I know he's warning me about how I treat the widow. I know I better treat the widow right. I know I better not take advantage of the widow. But he's telling me more than that. He's telling me what he's like. You know him tonight. You know that God. Maybe tonight you're like the widow in the fact that you're desolate. And you say, preacher, i got to have some help. I know where you can get some. If you'll ask. God will hear you. He'll hear the widow because of the situation she's in. He'll hear you because of the situation you're in. Why don't you ask him tonight? Instead of waiting till there is, seemingly there is no other hope, why not just go ahead and start at the beginning? Why not start at the top? Say, you know what? I'm going to go talk to God about this and get some help from God. And if you're lost tonight, here's where you are. You're the stranger. You're the widow. You're the fatherless. That's the way you came in, but that's not the way you have to leave. You can leave with God as your father. He's a pretty good father. I was preaching one time, I was preaching one time on what I gave up when I got saved. Gave up hell. Gave up hangovers. Gave up a lot of things. We got a lot of things. And I, and Miss Jenny Knutson, she used to sign for the deaf, and there was a deaf lady in the service. And when the service was over, that deaf lady came up, and I saw them down there doing all that. I don't know what it all means. My daughter can do it. I, I don't know what it means. But they got all done. Miss Jenny said, Preacher, come over here. And I walked over there. She's talking to me with her mouth and talking so this lady can tell with her hands, you know. And she said, this is so-and-so. And said, uh, she came forward in the, in the invitation and said to me, I want to trade in hell for heaven. She got born again. She came in without a father. But here's what I did. I traded in the father of lies and I got the father of mercies. That's a pretty good trade, isn't it? If you're lost tonight, God wants to save you. And he'll hear your cry because he knows how helpless you are without him. Say, but you don't know what I've done or where I've been. doesn't matter. He'll cry out to him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible said shall be saved, and he'll help you tonight. I'm glad that's the God that I serve. I want you to bow your heads a moment, if you will. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. He's given us a perpetual home. He has given us a perfect husband, and he's given us powerful help. If you need him tonight, if you'll cry out to him, I believe he'll hear you. I believe he will. I believe he'll respond to you. 
I believe he'll care about what you care about and what's on your heart and the burden of your heart because that's his character. We've seen it tonight. You say, preacher, nobody else cares. God will. Say, preacher, no one can help me. God can. Preacher, nobody wants to know. God wants to know. Preacher, nobody wants to hear me tell it. God wants to hear you tell it. That's the kind of God he is. That's his character. Won't you cry out to him tonight? I believe you'll hear him. There'll be somebody here tonight, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Somebody say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'm lost. I'm not saved. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to go to heaven. I'd like to be saved. Would you remember me when you pray? Is there anybody like that tonight? Remember me when you pray, preacher. Father, you help us tonight in this invitation. Bless these that have come. Bless those that need to come. I pray tonight somebody look at you differently than they did when they came in. They might see you more merciful and more gracious and more loving and more kind and more helpful than they've ever before. Help us. They might see you more righteous and more holy. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.